You are listening to a message from Shorebreak Church's Gatherings by Travis Scott. You can get connected with more content at shorebreakchurch.com. Well, cool. We're stoked to have you guys here and hanging out. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And did you guys see the surf this week at all? It is crazy. I mean, it's huge. Anyone go out at all? Okay, I'm jealous of you guys who went out uh, for real. Anyways, though, my name's Travis, if you're new, and we're excited that you guys are here, and we want to get to know you more, so uh, on your way out, you know, if you want to um, grab a cup of coffee, we got coffee out there, Starbucks, if you like to enjoy it the way that God created to, it was made to be, it's black, you can drink black coffee to the glory of God, if you want to poison your coffee, with cream and sugar, feel free to do so. Um, we are impartial to either of those. Everyone on our team, except for me. So, uh, but we really do want to hang out with you, get you connected with what God is doing here. And obviously, you're going to hear what we're about through this teaching as we go through God's word, what God has burdened us with. But at the same time, you'll have more questions. And so, looking forward to that. Have you ever noticed how we like to romanticize things? Make things, you know, a little more, when we look forward to, to, to things or look back at things, it's like, oh, those are the good old days. That's when things were awesome. And we romanticize them. And that was, those times are great. Just think about the time, you know, if you're married, the first time you held your, your now wife's hand. The first time you probably held her hand, you were nervous. Your heart was pounding. You're like, oh my gosh, this is the, the scariest thing. And, and now... You're riding in the car, it's like a thousand degrees outside, and you're holding her hand, and your hands are all sweaty. It's like, don't hold my hand. <laughs> you know, we romanticize, I'm always going to hold your hand, and then, you know, we, we should be affectionate with our wife, but not, it doesn't always look that way. Or, you know, you, you look back a lot of times in your past, and you say, those were the good old days, those when things were awesome, and, you know, or we can even do that with the church. You look back 2,000 years ago as Christians and say, look how awesome the church was in the book of Acts. Look at the Corinthians. Look at the Ephesians. Look at those churches. Those are some kicking churches. I wish it was like it back then. I was like, well, really? We can romanticize that, but they had problems of their own. The churches in the early day had issues that they dealt with too. And so I think we're going to, as you are turning to 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to look at this text that is very practical. We're going to be looking at culture, Christianity, and glorifying God. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we know that you are the head of the church, that you gave yourself up for the church. We know that you are passionate about your church. So as we get into your word, Holy Spirit, we are nothing without you. We don't understand your scriptures unless you enlighten them to us. So I pray that we would be receptive to the words that you want to speak to us. That you would be glorified in this time. And Jesus, that you would be made much of. We pray this all in your name. Amen. So I had you guys turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, but let me give you some backstory. This is what's going on in the church in Corinth. It was a young, new, trending church. 
Like things were happening in the church of Corinth. Uh, it was a pretty crazy town. And the church there was kind of off the grid. The worship leader probably had sleeve tattoos. And just so you know, we actually have an opening for a worship leader. So if you know anyone, you want to pass it on. We, we are looking for a worship leader for shore break and to build a band to the glory of God because our visions amplify Jesus. And we not only amplify him with his word, but we amplify him with guitars. To, to the glory of God. So we have an opening for that. And tattoos are welcome. If they love Jesus and they know how to play guitar, there's an opening. Little side note there. But that's probably how it would have been though in Corinth too. The, the, the worship leader would have had guitar and, you know, stripe or, you know, crazy tattoos all over himself. And the, the Corinth though itself as a town is going to be very similar to Kona. It's similar to Kona because uh, it was liberal. Corinth was a more liberal town. Indie rock, punk rock, reggae bumping, party city, where people like to recycle, people were on drugs, and there was a lot of spiritual activity, but it wasn't necessarily Jesus-centered. I, in fact, remember the first time that I went to Starbucks here on the islands. I pulled up and went in the parking lot, and on my way in, you know, the first time I'm here at Starbucks, broad daylight, walking in, and I see a drug deal go down right in front of me. Like, right in front of me, it's, it's, I mean, I would have expected that in a back alley, but in the middle of broad daylight, in front of Starbucks in the parking lot, really? A drug deal? That's pretty crazy. A couple of weeks ago, I went into a surf shop, and I was trying to find a rash guard, and on my way into the surf shop, I saw the sign that said, uh, the sign that said, don't steal, karma is real. I was like, wow, I mean, Much like Kona, though, people in Corinth are spiritual, but they didn't know Jesus. They were spiritual, but they didn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if people would talk about Jesus, it would be either like in a cuss word sense. You know, it would fall between the F-bomb and the S-word probably. Or it would have been people talking about him because they've been burned by him in their name. So Corinth was this crazy place, you have to say. And just got to let you know, I mean, I love Kona. I do. I love Kona. Our team loves Kona. That's why we're here, to amplify Jesus to Kona. We want to serve and love Kona. But in the center of the Corinthian church, in the city rather, there was this small, young church with Christians trying to figure out, navigate their way through this all. What does it mean to be a Christian and to live in culture? How do I love Jesus and serve the city at the same time without compromising through this dark contrast? And let's be real. As Christians, we know it's already awkward. (laughs) If we love Jesus and we serve and we worship him, it's already awkward when we're in world and when we're in the culture. And it can be awkward when, when friends and family and coworkers don't know him, and we do. Unlike the Corinthians, People would have spent their Friday nights getting hammered. And, you know, you would have been like, I, 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 you know, as a Christian, we shouldn't be going to get hammered. You're right. We shouldn't be going to do those things. So it's like, well, I'm not going to go do that. And all your friends are like, well, come, come on. Like, let's go. We're going to party it up. It's like, uh, I, you know, we're, we're caught in that awkward place. So what does it look like to be a Christian and to love Kona? To love through all of this contrast. Especially in a place like this, everyone and their cat has an opinion about heaven and hell. And there are so many cats here, I don't even know why, I don't understand it, I don't know what the deal is, but seriously, everyone has an opinion here. And let's just throw it out there and be honest right now, like, if, if it's not easy. Is it? 
I mean, I don't have it down. I don't get it. But 1 Peter 2.9 tells us this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, even though it's awkward, even though it's difficult, we are called to still share with people how awesome Jesus is. And sometimes, though, we can reserve that opportunity of sharing the gospel for people who are doing overseas missions. I mean, I don't know if you've ever done that. I've totally pawned off some of my responsibilities to the unknown overseas missionary who is doing the work of the gospel. And, you know, because it's a better opportunity. They're going overseas. And I'm not saying that overseas missions isn't important. It is. God uses it. But we're for both. We're for overseas missions and we're for Kona. Because in Kona, 69% of the population here, they don't attend church. So 69%. And of the 31% that say, yeah, I go to church, what that percentage includes is, you know, they're going to church no more than two times a month. And that includes other religions as well. Not Christianity. Not evangelical Christianity as we know it today. And so we have an opportunity with, to talk with people, to share them. If 69% of the population isn't going to church, it's like, that, that's a mission field right there. And, you know, we've talked with people who are in their mid-20s. Even when we were praying about coming here, they, they've, like, we tell them about church and they've never been to church. People here in Kona have never stepped foot into church ever. And I'm, this is crazy. Some people talking with people on our team, even as we were setting up bank accounts for the church. It's like, oh, you're setting up a bank account for a church. Is that like a religious organization? What's a church? We're like, what? You don't, you don't know what the church is? And so we have this killer opportunity right here to be on mission and to share the gospel of people. And not only the people here who live here, just this year alone, there are going to be 1.6 million people visiting this island for 9.5 days from all different nations. Where else in the world can you go when other nations are coming here? So with every plane that lands and every cruise ship that comes in, we also have an opportunity to share the gospel. Luke 10, Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly for the Lord to send out laborers into his harvest. So we have an opportunity not to retreat from culture, which, which so many Christians do. It's like, I want to retreat from culture and go into my bubble and stay inward. But we have an opportunity to, in the midst of loving Jesus and loving people, to serve them, just like the Corinthian church. And that's why Paul wrote these two letters. He wrote First and Second Corinthians because these people needed help with these practical issues. Dr- issues like drinking. Music, food, lifestyle, sex, clubs, and so on, and marriage. And what is Christianity, and how does that all fit in with that? And this is going to be a very practical teaching, so hopefully you guys have a way of taking notes. It's going to be super practical and controversial, so I hope I don't say anything stupid since this is recorded. So uh, let's look at verse 23, though, of 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. 
All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So the first thing that is brought up here is is this question that Paul asks, is this helpful? Does this help or hurt your relationship with Jesus? Now we have freedom in Christ to do what we please, no doubt. But we are also limited by the law. And Paul had to write this because there are some There were some in the Corinthian church who were saying, you can't do this, you can't do this, you're limited to this. So they're they're swinging on the side of legalism. And then there there are other people in the Corinthian church who are like, we can do whatever the heck we want. Forget you, I can go to church on Sunday and get drunk on Friday night. I I can do that if I want. And so Paul is dealing with these, these issues here. And he's saying, ask yourself this question, is it helpful? Does it hurt or help your relationship with Jesus? I recently got pulled over on my way to work for uh, using my cell phone. I didn't know that was uh, against the law. Um, but I had actually pulled over to the side of the road because I, I, I was send, updating a, a Facebook post because it's so important, you know, in the middle of driving updating. So I actually decided I'm going to be a good citizen, pull off to the side of the road, chill there for a minute, and update my status. And as I was finishing it up, I looked. There's no one coming. I'm like, you know what? I need to get to work. So I went back on Ali and started cruising, and I hit send. And put my phone down. And before I know it, I got pulled over. I'm like, dang it, really? Like, I just, but you know what? I'm guilty, right? I was guilty. And uh, that Facebook, co- uh, you know, post cost me 91 bucks, just so you know. A little random fact. It was an expensive Facebook post nonetheless. But what would have happened if I told the cop, hey, just so you know, officer, I'm a Christian. And I believe in Jesus. I'm not under the law, bro. Like, you can't write me that ticket. The guy would look at me like, you're an idiot. <laughs> You, you, you are a complete idiot. I can't say, hey, just because I'm free in Christ, I'm free from the law. And Paul is making that clear here, that we have to honor authority. I have to honor authority and abide by the law. And so Paul is cautioning the church against abusing our liberty in unlawful things. Am I abusing my liberty at work and checking my social media on the clock? I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. It's it's abusing my liberty. Christians who uh, abuse their liberty in drinking and getting drunk, can they get drunk? No, Christians can't get drunk. I knew a Christian who right out of Bible college got so whacked up, literally just was partying like crazy. And he would share the gospel with people, I'm not kidding, while being drunk. Stupid idea already. You know, as Christians, can we live with, with a girlfriend? No, can you listen to Taylor Swift music? No, not to the glory of God, you can't. Just kidding, that's actually not true. If you like Taylor Swift, that's okay. We still love you. You can come to shore break. But what Paul is saying here is, is this helpful? Is this helpful? If it's not against the Bible, you know, or if it is against the Bible, and that would fall under if it's, if it's not helpful, if it hurts our relationship with Jesus. But if it is lawful, So we're not breaking the law by doing it. And the Bible says, the the Bible doesn't talk about it. It's not forbidden. Then Paul says, you have liberty. You have the liberty to do that. You want to go do that thing? Go do that thing. You have freedom to go do that thing. But does that thing help you? Let's go through a few examples here. Smoking. Controversial already. Helpful or not helpful? Well, last time I checked on the cigarette pack, it said 
warning, this could cause lung cancer and destroy your entire body. So probably not the most helpful thing. And if obviously if you're under 18, then you're going against the law, so you can't do that. But it's definitely not good for you. But can you still be a Christian and puff on a pack of cigarettes? You can. It's not necessarily a sin, though it's not helpful for you. For, for you. And if you keep smoking, keep puffing, you're going to meet Jesus sooner. But it's not necessarily sinful, but it's also not helpful. Another thing, Speedos. Helpful? Not helpful. <laughs> not helpful at all, Okay. I remember, I, you know, I was actually pulled off to the side of the road. I don't know why, because I like to do that. And I was checking out the surf. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like this family, they're having a family day. You know, they're all going out, hanging out at the beach. That's pretty cool. Until he dropped his laundry. And all he was wearing was a Speedo. Not helpful at all. I mean, I thought Chewbacca was a fictional character. But this guy had hair from head to toe. It's like, this is ridiculous. That is not helpful at all. Is it lawful? Unfortunately, yes, it's lawful and it shouldn't be allowed. Is it helpful? No, it is not helpful for anyone at all. Video games. Is it lawful? Yes. It's not against the law to play video games. There's no, the Bible doesn't forbid it. There's no 11th commandment that says, thou shalt not play video games. You know, but I think video, playing video games isn't necessarily helpful. In fact, sometimes it's just idiotic and moronic. You're fighting for a virtual reality. Because the amount of some dudes play video games, I don't know how possibly they could have a walk with Jesus. I knew a guy, I'm not kidding, he worked a full-time job, and he played, he told me he averages 30 hours a week playing video games. It's like, dude, no wonder you're single. Like, put down the controller and get a life. Like, that's outrageous. You know, and I, I know some people, you know, you ask them about Skyrim, or different video games that are out, and you ask them about it, you can't shut them up. They just get rolling on it. They get so excited about it. And it's like, and, and they're Christians too, mind you. And then you'll ask them, oh, so how, how is it, how, you know, how's Jesus going? Oh, he's a cool guy. I love him. It's great. Like that, that's all you have to say. You just give me a monologue of I don't care what about Skyrim, and all of a sudden, Jesus, he's kind of a cool guy. It's like stop fighting for a virtual reality. This isn't helpful. Now, we have to throw in this disclaimer, though, in the midst of all of this, a disclaimer. Some of these things I mentioned and a slew of other things can become a sin if it becomes an idol. If you give your time, if you give your money, if you give your devotion to it, and it becomes more important than God, then it has become an idol. Because whatever you pour your energy into is a reflection about what we're truly passionate about. Whatever we pour our energy into, ultimately, is what we worship. We had neighbors that um, would leave their four-year-old girl out to play for hours and hours on end. And you would never see the parents. You, you would never see them. This girl would be playing. And uh, I remember she was riding her bike with no helmet out in the parking lot because we lived in this ghetto area at one point, not here in Kona, in another state. But, and I just remember that she, she almost got hit by a car. You know, and her parents were nowhere to be found. And finding out later, talking with the parents, after having a conversation with them, they were both up in their bedroom playing World of Warcraft. It's like, you kidding me? You neglect your children for a fake reality? 
that is pathetic. That's wrong. And that's also, not only is it not helpful, that's unlawful because they were neglecting their children. So Paul is sharing, though, this big idea that, hey, okay, if, if, it's, if it's not against the law, you're not sinning, just because you have freedom to do it, should you do it? Can you do that thing? But we should also ask further questions. Is this thing loving? Is it good? Does it help others? Paul says in verse 24, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. He's sharing this sacrificial, selfless love. So does it, is it helpful? Does it build up? And does it help others? Do our comments, do our posts on social media, does our lifestyle, do our jokes, do those help or hurt people? Because, you know, and sometimes you can think, well, I shouldn't really care about what other people think. I shouldn't really have to worry about that. But, but Jesus loves other people. He cares for those people. And if we love Jesus, we should love the people that Jesus loves. After all, isn't that what Jesus came to do? He came to serve. Mark 10, 45 says this, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. So if God served, we should serve too. If Jesus cared for people, we should care for Jesus too. And Jesus said, hey, you know what the best witness to the entire world is? It's not the fighting and the bickering that you're doing among one another, but it's the love that you have for each other. That is how the world will know that you are my disciples. That's how the world will know that you are my disciples, for the, world, the love that you have for one another. Because our best witness to this world is love. If God is love and we worship God, that should be saturating every area of our life. Going now down to verse 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth's is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So meat sacrificed idols was a trending topic among the Corinthian church at this time. We have no idea totally what, you know, like what, why it was today. And there are a few different speculations that we'll get into. But you had people sacrificing meats to pagan gods and goddesses. And, and what would happen is, you know, you, there were these legalists in the church that would, that would go to, you know, they'd go shopping. They're like, oh, that piece of meat looks good. And then they go ask the chef, hey, I just, I'm just curious, is this meat dedicated to an idol? I just have to ask. And it's not really much different th- today, really, when you think about it. Some people will say, well, you know, you can't go to Disneyland. Don't take your kids to Disneyland. You know, because, you know, they support, you know the homosexual lifestyle. They allow those things at Disneyland. So you can't support that. You shouldn't, let, you shouldn't go. Or that magazine you have on your counter, I notice, Surfer Magazine, have you seen page two of that thing? You shouldn't, you shouldn't buy. You shouldn't support that. Or don't buy Apple products. Someone told me never to buy Apple products because their logo is an apple with a bite out of it. And they actually told me that that, is the lo- that logo is demonic because it's symbolic from Adam and Eve biting out of the fruit of the garden. I was like, what are you talking about? And even if it was, I'm going to buy their products. I I don't care. Someone once told me, hey, you know smartphones? Mark of the beast. (laughs) 
Totally mark of the beast. It's like, what? Are you, are you crazy? And what Paul is communicating here to the Corinthians is like, hey, when you go shopping, don't even ask. Who cares? Just buy the steak. Just buy it. You know, just like how we talked about, is this helpful? They were getting so caught up. The church was getting so caught up and boycotting this market and not going to this place and only buying Christian meat from this Christian producer or whatever. They're getting so caught up in this that it, be, that it took their attention away from what really mattered. They were getting distracted from the main thing. And this principle that Paul is sharing is more than just liberty above legalism, but it's a thing of conscience. You notice in verse 26, or verse 25 rather, he said, on the ground of conscience, and as we'll read in verse 28, he repeats it again. He says, ask no questions of conscience. Now, as Christians, we are all called, and we must follow what the Bible tells us to do. But areas that the Bible is silent, then what do we do there? What happens? Well, that would fall under conscience. That would fall under your conscience. And the word that the Bible is using here for conscience actually means our soul's ability to distinguish between right and wrong. That's our conscience. It's something that God has given to us. And you don't want to ignore your conscience. So if scripture is silent on something, we need to decide as Christians, what do we do with that information based on our conscience? So are you going to drink a beer? You're going to have a beer. The Bible says that that's not forbidden. You have freedom to do that. What will your conscience let you? Private school, public school, or homeschool? What kind of music are you going to listen to, right? You're going to listen to a certain band? Are you going to let your kids listen to a certain band? Or is it only going to be Christian music? Or what kind of movies are you going to watch? What kind of diet are you going to have? Are you going to be healthy and be vegan? And, or are you going to be a meatitarian, whatever? You like your, you know vegetables with your meat on top of them as much meat as I can have you can enjoy all of these things you have freedom to in a way that doesn't cause you to sin you have liberty as long as you are not violating your conscience and for Shorebreak Church what that looks like is we will not say and determine what your conscience should look like what you should do you have freedom in that area so we could very well soon have a worship leader all tatted up who loves to watch chick flicks, right? We could, we could have that. There could be a girl who is a soccer mom who doesn't mind having a glass of wine with, you know, with her friends on a night out. There is freedom in Christ to do that. But Paul quotes from Psalm 24.1 in verse 26, which he says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So as we are doing life and culture as Christians, have you guys ever noticed that, that line that we draw in Christianity? It's like, this is Christian and this is secular. You don't see that, actually, in this verse here, Psalm 24, 1, do you? Everything floating on this rock in space is God's. All of it. There is no secular and there is no Christian and God's eyes as far as music, as far as movies, as far as all of these things. So from Bob Marley to Foster the People, Ferrari to Pinto, Double Rainbows to Facebook, any of these things are not necessarily a sin because it's all the Lord's. Now, don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that all pleases God. 
It's not like God is happy about some of the issues that are going through the church today. And it doesn't mean that they're all good. But we can enjoy these things in a non-sinful way. They can be redeemed for God's glory. You have the liberty if you're not breaking the law, if it's helpful and it builds up, if you're not violating your conscience, and if it's loving. So, verse 27 Paul says, if one of the unbeliever invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go eat, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the grounds of conscience. So kind of get a glimpse here of the writing shift that's happening. You kind of hear the heart behind the hand of what Paul is saying here. Because the Corinthian church was asking questions like, how does this affect me? What does this have to do with me? How far can I push it? Asking questions as, as far as, you know, meat, sacrifices, and all of these things. And there is a switch in Paul's writing that he's taking us to, and he's saying, no, no, the bigger question is, how does this affect them? How does this affect the unbeliever? Stop being concerned about yourself. Ask the question, how does this affect the unbeliever? Because our lives as Christians, we need to be evangelistic as missionaries. So if we get invited over to a barbecue, let's just say, you're invited over to a barbecue by an unbeliever, and they give you a burger, and you're like, oh, this looks so good. And, and as he gives you a burger, it's just it's chilling right there on your plate. You can't wait to eat it. And you're like, hey, quick question. I just have to ask you. Was, I, I noticed that I, on my way in, I saw a Buddha statue at the front of the door. Just quick question. I'm wondering if this meat was sacrificed to Buddha or any other idol-worshiping gods that you may be worshipped, that this may have been dedicated to, that I might need to be aware of. <laughs> Paul's like, stop. Just eat the food. Just eat the food. If you want a verse to memorize in the Bible, it can be 1 Corinthians 10, 27. Eat whatever. That's what Paul says. Eat whatever. Just eat the food. Don't worry about it. Don't get caught up on all these stupid things. Eat the food so that you don't offend the unbeliever. It's this idea of being on mission. And, and Paul wrote this. Think about this. Why did Paul have to write this? He wrote this because Christians were being invited over to non-believers' houses. When was the last time you were invited over to an unbeliever's house? When was the last time that you hung out with someone who is not a Christian? If we spend 99% of our time in a bubble, which I've been guilty of it too, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying anything that I haven't already done myself, but if we, if we spend 99% of our time with other Christians, how are we going to do what Jesus asked us to do before he ascended into heaven? And he gave this anthem call to all of his disciples, and he said, go therefore and to all the nations making disciples. To go into all the world and make disciples. What does that mean? We retreat from culture or we dive into it head first. We can't make disciples if we aren't in culture. Because every Christian is called to make more disciples. And on the contrary, if you are a Christian and you spend 99% of your time with unbelievers, with people who don't know Jesus, don't be naive. You better watch yourself. Because 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. I used to 
do this thing a lot with my brother-in-law, some friends. It's called spelunking now is the, the popular term for it, but it's basically mud caving. And what we would do is we'd dress up in, in these crazy clothes and go hiking. And up in these hills, they would have these caves that would have natural springs inside of them. And there'd be these dirt caves, which is already, it was pretty dangerous. It wasn't the smartest thing I've ever done. But there'd be these dirt caves with all this mud that you would go walking in these caves in. And, you know, and it was pretty sketchy because the mud and the water would be up to your, your chest. And you had this much room to breathe. And it was a trippy thing. But think about this. I would go into that clay, cave clean. I was clean. You know, and, and what if I was like, hey, I'm going to go into this cave clean, and I have the best intentions of making this cave clean because I'm clean. What's going to happen? I'm not going to clean the cave. I'm going to get dirtied by the cave. And just like that, when we are constantly only with non-believers, that is very difficult to walk to the glory of God without sinning. And if we look through your contacts, the people you've been in communication with, text messages, whatever, just by the people that we have seen you talking with, it would be evident of where your life and the direction your life is heading. Jesus came to this earth. When he did, who was he with? He was with disciples, and he was with outcasts. He was with religious people, and he was with rebels. He was with spiritual people, and he was with sick people. Fast forwarding really quick to the last verse that we'll study. It's chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, be imitators of Christ as I am of Christ. So if we're wondering how can we reach people without sinning, the answer is simple. It's Jesus. You look to Jesus. Imitate Jesus. Jesus, think about this, a missionary. He steps out of heaven. God is in perfect paradise, ruling and reigning over everything. He steps out of heaven into a culture that he's never been in. He puts on human skin, talks the language of the people, goes to parties with people, listens to the music that the people listen to as a missionary. And he did it all without sinning. Fully God, fully man, added to his divinity, dude. That's who Jesus was. And he did it all without sinning. He had a former stripper hooker on his team, and he never had sex with her. It's pretty amazing. It's because he's God. He, had, he was friends with tax collectors who would rip off people, and he would never steal money himself. He discipled angry fishermen, but he never lost his temper. Think about this. Jesus turned water into wine. Not just a little bit of wine. 900 bottles of wine is the equivalent of what he turned into. So people were hammered and they were drunk and he still turned water into wine. But he did it all and Jesus never got drunk. Jesus had a liar on his own team who, he would, he, who would eventually betray him. Jesus betrays no one. Jesus loved them all and he never sinned. That's our Savior. We follow a God who is a missionary. Jesus is a missionary. And Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good, acceptable, and perfect. We simply don't want to do what we want to do anymore when we follow and we serve Jesus. 
We want to do his will. That's our reasonable act of worship, Romans 12 says. So that more people can meet Jesus, so that more people can love God. And if I could sum up of what it means to be a disciple and to be on mission, it's this. Surround your life with people who are in love with Jesus and people who need Jesus. Surround your life with people who love Jesus and with people who need Jesus. And watch God transform this city. And so for shore break, what that means is we have community groups. And right now we have one community group. We meet on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. And we can talk more about what that looks like later. Aaron will share that with you. That we want you to get dialed in with though. And the purpose is this. You weren't meant to do life alone. We are part of the family of God. So as you grow, you grow when you hang out with other Christians. And, and part of that is, is thriving and not just surviving. So many times we're like trying to survive, trying to keep ahead, our head above water and not sinking under. But, but why we're in community is so that we would thrive, also so that we would serve this community, so that we would share the gospel with people. And part of that, as we're going to be talking about later, is through give back. We're going to be doing outreaches in the community uh, through things that the community already offers so that we can give back to this community to share Jesus. And so we're passionate about that. And we know that not only are we a part of community, but in the future we're going to have event nights where we're going to go and we're going to have a beach volleyball night, barbecue, and it's going to be a community night, but it's open to all of our friends who don't know Jesus so they can come and see what Christian community looks like. That's what it means to, to love Jesus and, and to be in culture and to be in this world, but not to be part of partaking in the sin of this world. Well, verse 28, Paul says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered, talking about the meat again, and sacrificed, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but... I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Because that would be illegalism. Letting someone else's conscience um, influence yours and be forced upon yours. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because for that which I give thanks. So, really practical here. You're at the barbecue again, and... You know, they, they bring you the burger and you all sit down and they're going to pray to Buddha, to pray to Allah. At that point, we're not calling the same God. We're worshiping a different God. And you have to lovingly say, hey, I can't wait to enjoy this burger, but I don't, that's, we pray to different gods. I can't do that. Or if they're like, hey, just so you know, this meat was dedicated, which I don't know if that would really ever happen. It's like, this meat is dedicated to this God or whatever. But either way, practically today, you know, if they're saying, well, partake in this spiritual activity and it's not about Jesus, we don't do it. We don't pray. And it's not easy, but if all we do as Christians is compromise, it's like, okay, that's okay, and then we'll pray to my God. I mean, if all we do is compromise, then how are we being a witness? What difference is there then? Of if we say we love Jesus, but we're doing what everyone else does. We have to be evangelistic. We love them, but we don't approve of their lifestyle. We don't approve of their sin. I was recently asked to go to a birthday party 
with a coworker of mine. I, I work at Starbucks, and so I, you know, get, get a chance to know a lot of cool people there. And, and one of my coworkers is like, hey, we're going to go out and have dinner at 1030 for my birthday. You want to come? It's going to be awesome. And I was like, okay, yeah, 1030 a.m. or p.m.? I'm like, dinner? Like, what? She said, oh, no, you know, oh, no, it's going to be 1030 p.m. And I was like, okay, um, dinner at 1030 p.m., that's kind of, and they ended up telling me, well, actually, no, we're not just having dinner. We're bar hopping. We're just going to bar hop until we get completely wasted. And at that point, I was like, well, I'm not going to go. Um, but if you ever just want to go out and eat, you know, for your birthday or whatever other thing, I'd be happy to go out and have dinner, but I'm not going to go bar hopping. I'm just not going to do that. That would be weird if you guys saw me bar hopping on Friday night on a lee, wouldn't it? That would just, you know, and we're not going to do that. But in those awkward situations, you know, when we're trying to share the gospel and we're being loving, how do we, you know, how, how do we work through all this, you know? Especially if, you know, what if you give your life to Christ and then, you know, and you were a former alcoholic and then you're, you know, and, and then someone asks you, hey, I'm going to go out and get out of beer. What should I do? You have to ask yourself, is this helpful? Will my conscience let me? You know, I couldn't go. Bar hopping. I just didn't. I'm, I'm, I'm all for sharing the gospel with people, but I don't think that's going to be helpful, sharing the gospel with people who are completely wasted. And verse 32 adds on that I shouldn't let my life also cause others to sin. I can't let my, my lifestyle cause others to sin. Well, verse 31, let's continue. Paul has this epic conclusion to this point that he's making that we have liberty in Christ, but we also need to be mindful of serving Jesus. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, give no offense to Jew, to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, I do not seek my own advantage, but that of many how many? Few or many. But that of many, they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The reason you and I breathe, the reason we exist, the only reason is to glorify God. That's it. That's the reason we exist. And that word glorify, you think, is what does it mean to glorify God? As I've been studying and praying about what it means to glorify God, I didn't realize what I was getting myself into because I totally don't get it. How do you explain the glory of God? He's so huge. He's so awesome. It's like, I can't even wrap my mind around this. It'd be easier to swim to Japan from here than it would be to explain the glory of God. But to scratch the surface of the glory of God, here's what we do know. That the Bible describes God's glory as heavy, worthy. It's a thing of splendor and wealth. It illuminates, it's light, it's honor, it's thunderous, it's majestic, and it's powerful. Those are the words that the Bible used to, to describe God's glory. And that's just getting started. That's just scratching the surface. And you quickly realize, man, this is a big God. He is way bigger than I am. God, you're so big and, and, and I'm so small. And, and you quickly learn, man, that this, this powerful God deserves all of me. 
Why would I withhold any part of myself from him? God doesn't exist for me, but I exist for him. And when I realize that, it's like, what? Like, you're not about me? Like, really? Like, man, I'm kind of a loser then, right, God? Yep. (laughs) But because I love you and, and, and and I've given you Jesus, you know, you're not a loser anymore. But we don't exist. We don't exist for God. God exists for us. And you know, so what that means is if God deserves all of our life, that means that as we're moving through our day-to-day, it doesn't mean that it's like, all right, I read my Bible and I prayed to Jesus. Check, next. Check, next. Check, I got to go to work. Check, I got to go pick up the groceries. I got to do all of these things. You know, someone this awesome needs to saturate everything we are. All that we do is what Paul said in verse 31. And all that you do, which means this. We don't put Jesus first. Don't put Jesus first. Put him center. Put Jesus center. Make everything about him. When you get barreled, get barreled to the glory of God. When you have a cup of coffee, have a cup of coffee, polluted or not, have it you know, for the glory of God. Listen to music, whatever kind of music, because there's no secular, there's no Christian. It's all his. Listen to music for the glory of God. Burp babies for the glory of God. Give to the glory of God. Read your Bible for the glory of God. Watch movies, hang out with friends, date your wife, share the gospel, all to the glory of God. This is what we are called to do. And since we were made to glorify him, we face daily decisions whether I'm going to glorify God through my life. We're faced daily with decisions. When our health crumbles, are you going to glorify God? When you can't pay the bills, are you going to glorify God? When you are desperate, are you going to glorify God? And you know what? He might not get you out of it, but he will get you through it. And when he gets you through it, it's so much easier to get through the trials of life when you glorify him. And you know what? Honestly, sometimes it is easy to pursue not glorifying God, temporary happiness. But we just end up needing. But when we pursue glorifying God, we have unending joy. We can't sell out for anything less than what God wants for us. My three-year-old son, Curran, uh, used to take it into his own hands to feed himself. He wouldn't tell us. He would just decide, I'm going to feed myself. And so what, our, what, our, what he would do is he would actually go into the refrigerator and, and he would just grab a stick of butter. I'm not kidding, just a pure stick of butter and just start gnawing on the thing and go into town. It's like, dude, you're, you're three. I don't want you to have a heart attack when you're four. You know, like, dude, put it down. Take it easy, bro. Like, you don't have to do that. But he would just take it into his own hands and, and, and go to town on it. And I would tell him, hey, current. If, if you're understanding me, just, just listen. You can just ask me if you're hungry, and I'll be happy to get you something. You know, that butter taste was just a sample. Like, all I, I, know how, I don't know how to make much. I know mac and cheese. I'll throw butter into the mac and cheese and some milk. You'll, that's much better than just eating a thing of butter. You know, it's just let, let dad take care of that for you. And when we pursue religion, when we pursue things in our own strength, we pursue alcohol, happiness on our own. It's just a sample ingredient. 
It's just a stick of butter. God has given us everything to enjoy completely for his glory. And none of those things apart from him, anything we do apart from Jesus will not satisfy. You'll have temporary pleasure, but then guess what? It's not going to deliver in the end. It's not going to happen. So when we give glory to God and all that we do, our life is a whole lot better because our greatest need in life is to give him all the glory. And you can glorify God. How can we glorify him? We're able to glorify him through the work that Jesus did on the cross. God, who came down, right, and lived this sinless life and perfect life, Jesus was sinless and perfect. He glorified God 100% of his life. And even though he never sinned, he became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. He became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And as Jesus takes our sin, he gives us his life. He gives us himself. And I know this is a simple truth, but if you, let, if you get this, if you understand it, 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 just, it goes so much further. And that is, our deepest desires are fulfilled when Jesus is glorified. We can spend all our energy on those different sticks of butter, but in the end, it's just a stick of butter. It's just a sample of the glory of God that God has for us to enjoy all of these things freely. And I've been thinking about, how does this tie back to the first part of the teaching? (laughs) Is this like two different teachings? But this is one big thought for Paul. He says, no, whatever you do being on mission, you do it for the glory of God, whatever it is. You don't have to worry about what you eat, how you dress, or all these things. If it's helpful and beneficial and lawful, and you can do it for the glory of God, and it's loving, and and it's not causing someone else to stumble, go for it, Christian. Charge it. And that's the awesome thing. That's such a liberating thing. And we look to Jesus and we see what he has done for us so that we can be missionaries in our city and so we can be just like Jesus did. Be in love with people but not doing the sin of this culture. You know, honestly, let's just, Kona Kona is looking for answers. They are. And we have talked to so many people. I mean, I've seen, since the time I've been here, I've seen Christians come here going to church, they're not going to church anymore. I just, you see seeing them backsliding and, and doing these things, and it's like, whoa, stop trying everything else. And we need to turn people's eyes back to Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. God, this truth is so simple, yet so beautiful, that we can glorify you in all and anything that we do. So even now as as we're here and we're praying and we're in your word and through this simple Bible study, we understand that that we could do anything for you. It doesn't matter with many or few, we can glorify you. And we pray that we would get that, that we would be on mission for you. We pray that we would reach this city. Because Corinthians tells us, God, that you want many to be saved. And we're not going to stop. We're not going to quit. We want you to save many people. So as we glorify you, help us to love what you love. And that is lost people. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. 
And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord, and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus and answer any questions. If you'd like to support the gospel going out through Shorebreak, you can click the Give button at shorebreakchurch.com. You can give a one-time gift, a recurring gift, or whatever God puts on your heart. Mahalo.